Welcome to the Next Brave Thing podcast. My name is Ella Hooper, and I believe that breakthrough is on the other side of bravery. This podcast features brave stories, emotional health, and creativity to inspire you to take your next brave step. Well, Eric Allen, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I am excited to have you because I teach a class called The Wholehearted Artists, and I work with artists. And you also work with artists, but you work with music recording artists. Um, I'll get you to dive in, give us your background and yeah, what got you started in fathering artists and Black Box Sound Co. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I've I've actually really always been attracted and gravitated toward um, kind of it, seemingly polar opposites. Um I was kind of the guy that would bring the the jock that didn't care about anything art related. And then also the weird artists in we would all three be friends. Yeah. Um, so I had a, you know, a real background in athletics. I grew up playing sports. Mm-hmm. That was what was typically more facilitated back when I was growing up. It was a lot harder to do music um, as it is today. I mean, you got a lot of YouTube tutorials and you know, yeah. you've got the mic right there that Michael Jackson, you're on a microphone that Michael Jackson recorded most of his albums on. Oh, wow. And, um, and, and you can go release a record next week on Spotify. So I would, I did sports growing up, but I also did music, loved music, always gravitated, uh, gravitated toward artistic people, not just musicians. And um, yeah, I just loved being around the atmosphere where something that didn't exist in one moment. And then all of a sudden, because you just risked to create something existed after that moment. And that was just intoxicating for me. So always loved um, music from a young age, would break into my dad's church and play music and drums with all my friends, turn the amps on. And we were a spirit filled church back then. So we had drums, uh-huh. um, even, even in the 80s. Yeah, we were rebels. Uh-huh. We clapped our hands for goodness sakes. Um, <laughs> So I would I would do that and write songs and and was in bands and played shows and then led worship and but it was always kind of second to to you know sports which was like I said I just had more of a pathway there and more organization leadership and facilitation um but but it was always the 10 out of 10 passion um, Really cuz you were a tennis player weren't you did you play tennis Yeah so I grew up yeah, I grew up playing, yeah. you know, I played a lot of sports, but going in toward high school, I started to really focus in on tennis mm-hmm. and then went and played at the University of Texas and then played a couple of years out on um, the beginning stages of the pro circuit um, wow. and loved it. It was it was literally my life since I was five years old, you know, playing, you know, hours a day. Um, but through that was threaded this music piece, with, which was actually even more of a, a passion really. Yeah. And um, so it wasn't until my, you know, I, again, I was in bands and, and did those things and wrote, wrote songs and, but it wasn't until around 2009 that I was actually really more in a creative um, music direction kind of wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. That's awesome. So did you feel because it sort of made money like like following a career in sports and all of that was more oh practical like you can make money from it so music went on the side 
sidebar kind of thing? Is that what sort of happened? Totally. You know, yeah. totally. And at the time, you know, I'm I'm young, I'm getting married, I need to yeah. take care of, you know, bills and things like that. And I knew I knew the landscape of the industry that I was in with sports. So I, I grew up at clubs, you know, country clubs, taking lessons and you know, and playing tournaments. And so I knew that how that whole world worked. And I had a personality, yeah. you know, even from, from being in high school, I was teaching little kids camps and things like that. So I knew I could get into the business and in, in the service industry at, at clubs and resorts and, and take the skill that I had, had used my whole life mm-hmm. in the competitive sense and turn it into my vocation. Yeah. Um, so totally. It was that. Yeah. 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 And I just, did love it. I mean, I got to wear yeah. shorts to work. I got a tan, yeah. I got to have fun um and and made made good money so i loved it it was i you know it was probably just more of an eight out of ten like if i had to choose if if it came down like a line in this you have to do this for the rest of your life i would said music wow that's so cool because i think a lot of people would probably their 10 out of 10 would be following an artistic passion like music or whatever but a lot of people are settling so but then also I think I think of you and you're a creative entrepreneur. You've kind of broken out of boxes to create community for artists and and you've kind of innovated your own way. So what was the turning point of actually going, you know what, I'm actually going to step into the music arena more fully? Like what at what point did you make that shift? Yeah, I think when I I'd come up to to Reading to do yeah. school of worship in 2009. Um, and I think it was during those three weeks, it was a lot longer back then. I think it's only a week now, but it was three yeah. weeks. And during that time, I just knew I was going to move on from my career, which I'd been, you know, in for 15 years, plus tack on another 10 years of just, um, as a, as a, as a kid and, and then a college pro- tennis player, I'd been in that, in that world for a long, long time, but yeah. I just knew I was going to leave. So yeah, in 2010, I decided to to resign from my position, which was ironically my favorite position. It was like the quintessential job that you would want to have in my industry. Yeah, uh, we were 2009 facility of the year. Went to the U.S. Open in New York, got the award. Oh wow! Um, I loved it. It was in SoCal in the in Palm Desert um, Rancho Mirage area. So, like on paper, I had zero reason to leave. We had good friends. Had a good job, but I just knew I knew it was like it felt like you know, sometimes we postpone the things that we need to do, but then sometimes and, and God's gracious and He yeah, He ebbs and flows with us, you know. I, I really believe that. And but this was more of like I really felt the jumping off the cliff moment, like it was sort of now or never. Mm-hmm. Um and it was at that point. So 2010, I came up and did school at BSSM. And then from, from that point on, it just really, the trajectory was not, not managing um, programs at a, at a facility, but more, more Pat really, it started with ministry and getting outside of myself and serving other people. And then through that, the, the music came more um, directly. Yeah. So how did, did black box start first or fathering the artists, fathering artists? Yeah. So years, and I'll, I'll preface it with this years ago, um, over 20 years ago, I got this card in the mail and anyone that's kind of been to my retreats or heard me talk has heard me say this. So I apologize if you're listening to this podcast, but <laughs> I got a, I got a letter in the mail 
like a snail mail, real paper. And yeah, it had like a wax stamp seal, a really cool logo on the front. And a buddy of mine that was a, another artist, singer, songwriter in Austin, Texas, had sent these out to a group of friends. And I remember getting the letter and it was for a singer, songwriters and poets retreat. And my, my spirit just leapt. I was like, man, who's doing, no one's facilitating these things at all, you know? And so wow. we were going to go out to this beautiful ranch and um, which we did in Austin. Mm. And, and the goal was that we were going to all break up into groups, write songs, and then uh, share all of those songs in this big barn and do a big cookout. All of our friends and family come at the end of the weekend and, um, and play all the music that we had created. Mm. But Somewhere basically after the first day, everyone hit sort of bump, speed bumps and resistance and then just bailed. So the whole retreat became more about like fly fishing and drinking a beer. Um, Say beer on this podcast or is this going strictly to um, Christians who do not ever drink? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, we have some heavy drinkers, Eric. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, just the rails came off from that goal. And I remember it just marked me. It marked me. I was like, no, 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 no. I mean, I brought all my instruments. I brought everything. I was like, no, no, no. I just had this resiliency, this tenacity to go, whatever I'm committing myself to, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And so I wasn't easily deterred. Mm. But because of that, I mean, we had a great time. It was awesome still, but yeah. that marked me. So in 2011, Lance Jacobs, uh, one of the one of the pastors in the school, um, they were just having a prayer time as they would do for different people at different times in the year. And, and, and he spoke that over me. He just said, I see you fathering artists. Um, and up until that point, honestly, I remember in first and second year at the time, I think I was like, I don't know, 34, 35 years old. Um, and I would always get these father words and I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not, I'm not your dad. I'm, I'm like, I'm a, I'm kick-ass. Like, come on. Yeah. I'm amazing. I, um, like, I'm not your dad. I'm not a father. And I was sort of like finding myself resisting this father thing. Um, and how old and were your kids? Why. Were your kids? How old were your kids at that point? Uh, like, I mean, pretty... like eight, eight, eight or nine down to one. Yeah. And it wasn't that I love being a father and a husband. It was my dream. Yeah. And I loved it. But in, yeah. in the scope of, of actually pouring into others, I wanted to see myself more as a creative peer. Yes. And yeah. The Lord just one. Yeah. At one moment, I, I think in in one of the days, I just really felt like felt like the Lord came and showed me that no, no, Eric, you've had a father. Sorry, I put this in you since you were little. Um, you you've been you've been fathering and gathering people for a long, long time. And I remember when I got that, it just unlocked something. And from that moment on, it just released this desire to um, champion others and and almost. You know, anything that came out of my mouth or my stewardship or my facilitation or organization would only serve to make them feel that they could go further. It would never intimidate. It wouldn't cause insecurity. It would only serve to launch. Mm -hmm. Um, And so after he gave me that word, that's when I started doing fathering artists. So that happened before Black Box. And I simply just started. um, uh, I did a mock AMT because I got hired really, really late in BSSM. Yeah. And I wasn't teaching a class that first year, but knew I was going to have to the next year. And so I just started a mock AMT in my mod. And I think yeah. 16 to 20 people signed up for it. And then from there, it just wow. took off. And um, yeah. and so I would teach a class in school. And then we started taking up people to Medford, Oregon for the first couple of years. 
to this beautiful home. And then it transitioned yeah. to the summit where we currently are. And we've had them for the last 10 years. We're in year 11. Wow. Is it year 11? That's wild. That's so cool. Um, I love this idea of fathering. And I think some of my audience might find it a little like hard to kind of grasp because they're maybe not from our yeah, we, we try. We thought about changing the name for um, yeah. nine of the 10 years. No, I think it's awesome because I think um, from even because I coach artists and work with creatives. So I know a huge part of being an artist, it can be very isolating and you can feel like an orphan. Like, And so I love the concept of fathering because like you said, it's not about selfish, like about me, 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 you're here to throw people forward. And um, so, and I was looking at the testimonials on your website of people who, you know, had felt shut down or blocked or like their dreams had died and then they come to your retreat and I'd love to hear like your watching people go through your retreats like what shifts do you see with them when they kind of get this idea of being fathered if that makes sense no it totally makes sense yeah I think you know I tease that we try to change the name but honestly now I'm really convicted and fully embracing yeah. It, it's literally in the name mm -hmm. what we're doing and, and so many times people come up to the retreat and sort of expect one thing and get a completely different thing yeah um and i think no matter who you are you have someone who parented you even if you yeah. had, had a single mom uh raise you or a single dad or foster parents or an aunt and uncle or grandma it doesn't matter you have some sort of grid for being cared for yeah and for me, I think a little bit of a distinction is almost between the difference between like, this probably isn't exact or correct, but it, in my mind, it makes sense. It's like parenting versus really, truly mothering or fathering someone, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I think parenting, it's probably defined similarly, but I kind of see it. it's like, you can get the job done of parenting. Like I can put my diapers on the kid. I can put yeah. food on the table. I can take them to soccer practice. I can pick them up, blah, blah, blah. But really like fathering and mothering and nurturing um, is creating a space where they feel safe. They feel loved. They feel championed. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think a lot of times people kind of, because it's a songwriting retreat that we do up at, on the mountain, they they think they're probably going to be more heavily focused on just the, the tactical, you know, practical approaches to how to write a song. But yeah. really it's this disarming atmosphere where where we're we're creating a space where they feel safe yeah and then when they feel safety they just begin to open up and issues come up and i can tell you Ella, it doesn't matter i've worked with grammy award-winning artists to down to just emerging as you know mm -hmm. as artists and it doesn't matter. That's the thing that almost impacts, always impacts and not almost always impacts them the most is not yeah. someone that'll just get something done for them, but something that is someone that's truly going to be there, someone that's going to really listen to them. Um, and it, it's, it's honestly every, every time, um, sorry, I'm turning off my, uh, you're good. Notices they're dinging. Um, you know, as, as a as a leader, you probably experience mm -hmm. this too. As a mentor, anytime that you first dabble, there's this kind of facade or 
exterior that you've got to get through. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So especially with someone that maybe is a more well-known artist, there's this big for like image and Mm -hmm. you have these expectations. You think they do too, but I'm telling you every time I've been able to break through that and simply get down into their level, it, this father piece, this mother piece is the biggest thing. Yeah. It's the biggest void. It's the biggest pain point. It's the biggest need. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I love it because it's establishing identity because our parents really do kind of give us our identity. And a lot of artists, like when I meet them, they're like, I'm trying to find my artist voice. I'm trying to find my voice. And um, I don't know. I And I think a lot of the time we don't know who we are. And so we copy people and then there's so much pressure. I know even working with um, New York Times bestseller, they've got a bestseller out there and then the pressure that comes to have a great follow-up to that. And I can imagine working with Grammy award-winning artists, there's enormous pressure to the point where you kind of lose your voice. Um, But I'd love you to kind of speak to that idea of like finding your voice as an artist. Yeah. How do no. how do you help people find it? I guess. No, I think it's it's funny because um, you know in relationships you you very quickly find out and realize that it's not just you don't just choose a person once you you choose them every day, yeah, <laughs> again and again and again, right? Um, yeah. After after you've gotten angry with them, after they've offended you, after they, and so as an artist, like revelation is one thing, but then working out actually believing it in your actions on a daily basis is what gets challenged so much. And so for artists, Mm -hmm. you can have one day where you're feeling really, really confident you think, you know, who you are, where you want to go. And then all of a sudden this trigger out of nowhere kind of moves and moves you out of that place of identity and out of peace. Yeah. And so we really try to give, you know, tools and skill sets, you know, for us that are based on on kingdom values that are based on biblical principles that we really really truly believe in are powerful that that allow you to have self-awareness and be able to work through those things because it's really a battle in the mind how are you thinking that's where everything starts i mean they've done studies on it you think more than you than you do anything else yeah your brain's constantly going and there's there's triggers and thoughts and things happening and so if you're not aware of what's going on inside of you and are actually able to process that in a healthy way. Yeah. Um and connect and connect to God in those moments yeah. and, and really grow in discernment and understanding about those things that make you insecure yeah. or that scare you or that make you angry. And so the more you can grow in understanding those things, the more they don't cycle. Yeah. I think a lot of artists are in a cycle. Yeah. They don't really grow. And there's not a lot of mentors out there and, and leaders that are helping them navigate these things when they're going through them because it's not just a one-time choice. It's a it's a daily battle to understand yourself. And I think artists, especially ones that get a bit more prominence or start to release music or start to get on stage, you know, you could stay small and, and then you get triggered a lot less. You're not around as many amazing people. You don't see as many amazing things. 
all of a sudden you put yourself in a really, really powerful place. Like right now you're going to the school in New York. I'm sure there's a ton of talented people. Well, yeah. what happens to you when you're around talent? Well, now I'm triggered. Now I think, are they better? Yeah. Am I, do I, what am I, you know? So yeah. I love getting artists to go like, no, 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 don't shy away. Plant yourself in an excellent community, plant yourself around other amazing people and then realize be, and then we teach them. You're not your own idea. You're God's idea. There's an ocean of creativity. You, you, Mm -hmm. everything that comes out of you, even if you emulate others, when you begin to do it, it'll be unique to you. Like you have nothing to fear. There's nothing on the planet that can steal your creative destiny. Yeah. And it's like, okay. And it's one thing to hear that. And for it to be revelation in your mind, it's another thing to actually integrate it into your life and do it so much that it becomes, yeah, you actually believe it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. wow, that's so good. Um, so I guess in like working through these triggers, a lot of the triggers can be connected to fear. And I love on your website, you talk about how, uh, you really come alongside and support artists and coach them, not just doing retreats, but also coaching them. Um, what are some fears that, you help people work through to get clarity? Uh, Yeah, I think. Well, let me, let me set this up. One of the the things that we say on on the website and we teach in the retreats is this phrase and the word Shalom in um, it was an Afghan dialect. I was over in in the UK and they had had an influx of Afghan believers turning uh, to Jesus and they were just doing some discipleship. And one of the, they came across a verse with the word shalom in it. And one of the, one of the ladies lit up and she was like, oh, this makes sense. In our, in our language, we have words though, that are associated or excuse me, pictures that are associated with every word. And the word yeah. shalom or peace in their dialect was fire, Jesus, dismantle all chaos, the fire of Jesus that dismantles all chaos. That's peace. Wow. It's an offensive pursuit of Jesus on your behalf to dismantle chaos. What's chaos? It's all the noise, all of the things that cause you to not actually resonate in the direction that you're called to. And that is the attack of the enemy on beauty, on Mm. creatives. Let me create chaos. Let me get them busier. Let me get them worried. Let me get them into a place where they're comparing. And so I couldn't name (laughs) one fear. There's... There's 50, you know, like in yeah. a given day that you could experience depending on the environment you're in. But um, yeah. I think being able to navigate with people step by step mm-hmm. and, and creating programs um, and, and, and honestly, you, you can't handhold all the time. You would hope hope to be able to instill some of these things in artists. And at the end of the day, the artist has to grow up and mature and be yeah. able to execute and, 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 you know, apply these things. But one thing I have noticed is e- even once you've learned a lot, you still need that that support. You know, Justin Bieber, you can go through um, a bunch of top artists where now after all that they've been through, all the stardom and the roller coaster of things, what is precious to him right now? If you follow, it's like, I want my team. I want my people that I know care about me and yeah. I care about them. That's yeah. who I want to hang out with. I don't want to hang out with a bunch of people that are saying they love me, but really don't. So it never stops. um, Even though the artist does need to mature and be able to, uh, you know, um, kind of apply these things. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's so good. And I think you're you're talking about safety, like even in 
research, it shows that people transform when they feel safe, but often like shame is such a huge part of like, you know, motivating people, like threatening, like the voice of like threat or comparison or I don't know, everything feels high stakes, but I think I love what you're creating is something that feels low stakes so that you can kind of when people feel safe, they can be themselves and therefore find their own voice. Um, I'd love to know what are some creative risks? I mean, you've obviously risked to kind of move states, start, you know, start black box, which, you know, uh, which is huge for our community. Um, And then what are some risks that you're like, like that you found have paid off? Because I think, yeah, what are some fears that you've had to step through um, to, yeah, kind of get where you are today? No, that's a great question. Um, I think I I remember even as a kid, it, it is so funny, or not funny, that's the wrong word. It is um, so important. Um, almost things that I could not, I, I don't even now completely understand, you know, because yeah. you can have siblings that were parented by the same people, yeah, <laughs> had the same house, and then they, they have different personalities, and then they approach, and, and one, maybe one of them is way more insecure and less yeah. willing to, to be, and then the other one thrives seemingly. But I think sometimes there are dynamics that really make a an impact on our ability to be bold and be confident beyond just a personality yeah, um, yeah. and i'm not a i'm not a huge fan of navel gazing and like um right. going and trying to dig up stuff that doesn't need to be dug up but if there's some key pieces that just you feel like i really want to do something but i'm feeling completely inadequate or completely immobilized to go in that direction there might be something in your past that was so traumatic that it just Mm. and so i've just learned the value of some some you know really qualified people that can help in a counseling type of a form or something because i know that's a kind of a roundabout way to answer your question but for some reason i think there were some key moments where maybe my grandma was praying for me or I don't know, like, and I've made lots of mistakes through my life. So this isn't saying that I haven't made mistakes, but there was something that instilled in me just this, like, Hey, it's worth planting seeds and bearing fruit. It's worth taking risks. Yeah. Even, even if you're not the best at something like go and try it. And so I've kind of always pushed past the fear. Mm -hmm. You know, I have like, is as soon as I, kind of in in both in my spirit but also logically attached to something and say it's true then i just tend to not let go of it and yeah that's um, so cool you know i have this one saying that i've been saying a lot lately is like you you can't um experience the fruit or the byproduct of a choice you don't make yeah that's so true yeah yeah you, you can't mm-hmm. you you can't experience the fruit or the byproduct of a choice you don't make and so yeah. many times we try to live our lives and only choose to things that we think we want. 
if I look back at my life, I would say things, some things that shaped me most were probably the things I didn't expect or didn't think I wanted, you know, or was too scared to maybe do it first, but then decided to do it and then got to eat the fruit of that choice. So I think sometimes we also measure way too much, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think, is this the right choice? Is this the wrong choice? Um, you know, and so we were constantly measuring and yes. instead of just, instead of acting and then adjusting, I saw yeah. uh, one day I was walking through Hebrews and I, I had two big block letters in my hand. It was almost like an open vision out of the blue. And I, yeah. I had the word adjustment and then the word measurement. And then it was in God, big God hands. And then they just switched. They just crossed and then they disappeared. And it felt like the Lord was saying, listen, you need to measure a lot less. Is holiness important? Yes. Is yeah. being righteous? Yes. Is integrity important? Yes. But as long as your heart's pure and you're considering me, just act, go risk, make yeah. choices. Yeah. And then if you, so good. you know, if you make a mistake or it's the wrong direction and you got community around you, well then adjust. And it feels like people that do that tend to move forward way yes. faster. They'll make mistakes, but as long as they're willing to adjust, um, they'll get, yeah where they're going faster and be way more excellent, whatever their craft Mm -hmm. is. Yeah, that's so good because I think a lot of, well, we struggle, there's a lot of artists that struggle with perfectionism. And so I love that you're talking about this adjustment. And I like to think of like Holy Spirit as like a GPS system of like, oh, we're just rerouting. (laughs) But I find like, yeah, like I love your approach because it's more about like learning how to pivot and becoming, yeah, flexible. But you kind of mentioned a great piece of community. Um, How do you think, like, because I think a lot of artists are feeling orphaned and alone. So tell me, like, it seems like it's something something so natural to you to create and cultivate community. Um, How have you gone about that? Like, how has it felt organic or um yeah how how did how have you created community um i mean if we're honest there's there's certain personalities that tend to be gatherers more organically right and we're thankful for them and then we're also thankful for the person that would never be the rallying person but gets all the schedules done or yeah, you know, totally. keeps on the rails our pro- project managers not that project managers aren't creative or yeah. i'm not boxing anyone in precursor totally. yeah um, but there are natural mm-hmm. natural gatherers so i have had that i've had that, that natural um ability to just get people together yeah and and honestly real talk like sometimes you know people will come to black box which is a a live events thing. And it's also mm-hmm. a studio. We could talk about that later too, but yeah. um, you know, they, they could come experience that, or maybe they came to retreat and then they're like, oh, I'm going to go try it. And they, they're not quite as successful <laughs> or they're not. And people don't want to come and they're like, well, this is crap. I wanted to do what you were doing. So some of it is it's timing, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's history. It's actually, you know, skill set. Do you actually have experience in what you're doing? Do you, are you offering anything? Yeah. You know? Um, and so I think boldness starts to increase when you know that you're going to offer people something. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think 
I think creating community is is really threefold. It's it's number one, being willing to just create a space for people to gather. Um, number two, it's being able to try to connect to people that are hungry. Mm-hmm. There needs to be hunger and value. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. There's got to be hunger and yeah. value. So I want to create a space. I want to be around hungry people and I want to offer value. And if yeah. you can do those three, if you can do those three things, people are going to want to come back. And then when people come back, relationships are built. And when relationships are built, then you're, you're ebbing and flowing with, with people in your interest that are willing to, you know, give you good feedback and blah, 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 but it takes time. Yeah, no. And I've been to plenty of your black box events and it's so cool because you literally saw a need in our community because we have a lot of very talented artists who may not necessarily want to be worship leaders, but they have like this gift and there wasn't really a space in Reading to have people get up and actually see people's talent. Like, um, and so I love what you've fostered over the years. So did it start off like a sign up if you have something to bring and then did it organically turn into a studio or how did that work out? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So there used to be a thing in Reading um, called Love Lounge. Oh, I remember I'm that. Sure. I think yeah. I actually saw you play like in yeah. 2014, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I remember so, seeing you play. Yeah. So Love Lounge was awesome. And mm-hmm. I helped, I was a student at the time. So I was kind of on the team that helped put those events together. Um, and I loved it. It was, it was kind of a scene. I mean, it got to the yeah. point it had really grown. Um, there was, there was one, one particular aspect though, that I felt like I had just a different take on it. And, um, I, number one, I wanted it to be a little bit more vetted because I wanted the experience to, to be a bit more thoughtful and yes. curious. So Love Lounge was just a sign up on the day of, and you didn't know oh, exactly wow. what you were getting. And there's a beauty to that. Like totally. there's some people who never courageous. have seen if we hadn't done that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. cool. Yeah. But so, yeah. And so Love Lounge had been basically d- dead for multiple years. And I was at the space. I was like, man, we got to have something here. And so I started Black Box and we yeah. vetted out the, the auditions. And um, I think our first night we had around 170 people. And then from there, it was just most of the time over 200. And we've had wow. some at like, you know, five, 600 people. Mm-hmm. And so over the course of, um, six years, we've had over 350 artists on the stage. Oh, wow. That's insane. And, um, yeah, it's really, I have a heart, I, I, you know, burned for, for worship and, Mm -hmm. and, and so value the global voice of the church singing songs and declaring things that are, that are, you know, true. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also love kingdom artists that are, are creating songs for the world. So the general market side of it, I have a band called Alan. That's where we write. That's the lane that we sit in. And even our retreats, it's it's Kingdom Foundations, Black Box, it's Kingdom, you know, people. Um, kingdom, I don't even know if I believe in that word. Gospel loving Jesus loving people on leadership yeah. team. Yeah. I don't want to just use a cliche term of kingdom, but yeah. Um that are doing these things, um, but it's it's not like, hey, if you come to retreat, you have to write a worship song. Or, in fact, Black Box is 
we don't want worship songs. Yeah. We we don't accept those artists right now. It's it's covers and singer songwriter originals and general market music. And so, so anyway, over the years, with when I was doing the, I, I noticed you know the fathering artist piece was kind of this developmental side, and people would want to talk to me after that and learn how to write better songs and what do I do you know with my artistry and and then the live event was this stage that gave them a platform. The missing piece was being able to record and launch their music. And so in, in 2017, I believe we took over black box studio downtown, which was previously called Thunderbird. And, um, and so now we have a recording studio as well. So they were kind of, it created an ecosystem. Yeah. You know, artists got ignited up at the retreat. They wanted to play on the stage and then they wanted to record or vice versa. Wow. Um, it's so cool because I remember when it was all kind of starting up. And so it's so inspiring to watch you stay faithful to the vision and see momentum on it. And I can imagine that there's been, you know, pioneering, there's always like the discouraging moments. Um, so like, can you speak to like, what has kept you moving forward? Like what is kind of in the kind of harder moments or discouraging moments, like what has kind of stayed, ha helped you stay the course? Yeah. Again, I would say I have a natural bent toward being resilient. I yeah. have a natural bent toward being tenacious. I don't give up easily. Yeah. Uh, but there's been some things like, yeah, you know, Jacob Cook was my MC. So when he moved away, that was that was really hard. It's hard to replace someone like him, his personality. So yes, you know, so who am I going to get to do that? You know, and then intern cycles where I have interns and then they leave and then I don't yeah, get another totally. group. Um, and then 2020 with COVID, it was like, man, we can't do these oh, anymore. Yes. So yes. thought about, you know, giving it up at that point. Um and then so it's made some some we've made some, you know. I had to morph it a little bit here and there, but I really feel like I've, I've just gotten this thing deposited in me that I know that, and it, it's so important that this sounds crazy, but I, I really feel like I want to be at the table and it's becoming more of a reality now, honestly, I want to be yeah. at the table the global curation of music i want to be yeah. at the table of of the artists that are, are highlighted and chosen and picked and launched and given a platform i want to be at the table of of pouring in or creating programs not just myself but the people around that i could train that begin mm -hmm. to pour into these artists that really really know themselves because honestly even when you see the extremely talented artists that create good music I don't know about you, Ella, but for me, it's like if you really start to look at them and analyze them, they're either extremely apathetic, mm -hmm. right? And it's almost like F, F you to the man, like I'm just going to, or they're like completely cookie cutter copycatters. Yeah. And it's like, where, where are the, where are the yeah. artists that really know who they are and, yeah. and, and, you know, mm -hmm. and are making it because the byproduct we we have this statement great people are going to make great music yes and right now there's popular music right. there's millions and millions of stream on songs but what would happen if the art that started to get created was even at another level of 
something you didn't even know what it was about it but there was some sort of thread in the dna of that song that was connected to a creator that was connected to eternity that was talking about the gamut of subject matter right mm -hmm. and it wasn't just cookie cutter you know hope music but it was inspired yeah. it was heaven inspired yes. what would happen so um, yeah speaking of inspiration what do you have like some moments in your career in your time of real hitting into that flow inspired feels like you're creating with god like do you have any stories around that like that i flow? do i do yeah um and I'll, I'll say you've got those fire moments where the the you know the song just comes in a moment and then you and then you've got the other side of crafting music and crafting songs yes and a lot of times artists will hit that point where they have to really craft and then they don't want to do it um right. they're like i just want it to be organic i want yeah. it to just flow i'm like well that's not being a professional you got to learn how to discipline yourself and write music and yes. craft a song but i have had a few moments where it just felt divine um mm -hmm. one was recent see i i write pop music i write songs about life experiences um even though i worked at a label for eight years that you know i i critiqued and gave feedback and developed um, worship songwriters mm -hmm. but i was in worship uh at, at church and i this was about six months ago and i realized i was really had a bad attitude and i i became aware that i was i was very judgmental i was like i'm tired of worship we've sung this song a million times I hate this. We've done this same routine, blah, blah, blah. And I just was being a pooty head. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the Lord just convicted me. And I was like, man, I'm not here for that. I'm here to worship Jesus. I'm here to honor, honor the Lord. And so I really just leaned in. Uh, you know, I could have chosen to just sit there and gotten through worship. But I was like, no, no, no lean. I lean in. Lord, you're worthy. You're beautiful. You're glorious. I'm here to worship you. And I just began to lift up, lift up the Lord. And in that moment, oh, I kid you not, within five minutes, I mean, this has never happened. I got a full song. Wow. I got lyrics. I got melodies. I got pre-chorus. I had bridge. Um, actually, if I'm honest, we didn't, I didn't quite have the bridge. Um, Mitch Wong helped me with that. Mm -hmm. But it just came like that. And it was, it was the craziest thing. And so then wow. I went in the studio with, with Taylor Clark, um, who works at Bethel Music. And we recorded out a demo and I sent it to Brian and Brian, it was like one of the first songs where Brian immediately was like, wow, he's like, this has something on it. Like we should work on wow. this. Um, and it was cool. Cause I don't, I don't practice writing worship songs. Um, so that, that happened just like six months ago. It was crazy. So I'll send you I'm the demo. I always like get curious about how people arrive at that enlightened moment. And I love that you had to like push through a fence like you, you were authentic in like not feeling this, but I'm choosing to lean into the offense rather than be like apathetic. Um, Cause I'm always curious about how people land in that moment of inspiration. Not that you can really put a formula around it, but I think there's something in your heart process that goes alongside your creative process mm -hmm. that gets you the stroke of genius, you know? So. Yeah. That's really cool. Wow. And look what you're probably doing. I mean, here's the thing. I want yeah. I want to see I want to see a lot more not because it's a competitive thing, not because it's like um 
some status thing that if you if you are more excellent, you're more important. Not at all. Right. But that that's honestly why you don't see as many, you know, really great people in in right. a specific area or facet of life or skill set because they're not yeah. willing to do it. They're yeah. not willing to put the time in. If I go run yeah. every day, I will be in better shape. If yeah. I write every day, I'm going to be a better songwriter. Mm-hmm. If I don't lean in that moment to the conviction of the Lord and humble myself, I don't get that song. Yeah, You don't get to experience the fruit or byproduct of, thing, of choices you don't make. And, and so it's true. convicting to me. I'm like, man, I want to yeah. do more of that, you know? Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, speaking about like discipline, um, and I'd love to know just sort of in closing, like just some practicals on cultivating good habits, because I think, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, you have the artists who are like, I just want to be spontaneous and in the moment and inspired all the time. But how have you created good habits? Yeah. And, and that's hard for me too. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I'm yeah. in the moment, you know? Yeah. And so I've had to learn to try to graft in discipline. Um, yeah. There's a great book called the war of art mm-hmm. um, and great it's book. really specific to creativity. And he talks a lot about resistance and the things that come in the form as, re, uh, in, uh, as resistance and, and keep us from kind of doing the things that we really, really want to do. And yeah. so he also has a book uh, called turning pro, which is really about becoming, becoming a creative professional. Yeah. And so there, there's some great books like the artist way for me, I guess where if you're disciplined, if you're self-disciplined on your own and you don't need a ton of um, outside help with that, great, good. You probably need more help being spontaneous or whatever. Like we all have our different needs. I I never hard work was never the issue for me. It was mm-hmm. the facilitation and the organization. So if yeah. you if you need help with that, pull in other people. Artist Way is a great little a book mm-hmm. to do it. Get some other people that you can, you know, schedule times with. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that War of Art book, he said, I only write when I'm inspired every day at 10 a.m. Um yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, shoot, I've got to actually put it in my calendar. You know, I always tell the songwriters that I'm working with, um, are you, if you say you're a songwriter, show me your calendar. Yeah. Wow. That's you know? so good. That's a great um, Yeah. Yeah. So you got to put awesome. in, we schedule yeah. coffee dates. Yeah. We schedule, we schedule work. We schedule mm-hmm. these things. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you got to take yourself seriously and schedule those, those things in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so good. That's so helpful. So do you have any, in closing, do you have any advice to any young artist um, who maybe has some, yeah, blocks, like writer's block or, yeah. 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 What What's some advice for them? No, that's great. I would say begin to share your stuff with people, get oh, feedback, um, yeah. com- commit to some programs, you know, Mm. sign up for everything that you that you can if it makes sense you know that would help cultivate um your artistry but i would also say there's really three phases of an artist as i've seen over the years um kind of over 20 years into this being just in this kind of creative process 
Um, the first stage is really more quantity. It's about quantity. Phase two is really transitioning from quantity toward quality. And then phase three is more like really, really targeted. Um, so maybe you're doing less, but it's very, very specific and very, very strategic. So yeah. depending on what phase you're in, if you're like right at the beginning, don't despise writing 100 songs, mm-hmm. 200 songs. They don't have to be great. Um, yeah. It's about quantity. You need to pump the yeah. water through so it becomes clear. Yeah. Um, wow. That's so good. As you start entering that, that middle stage, getting a bit more feedback, I'd say that first stage is a little bit more. The onus is on you mm-hmm. as an artist. Like you need to spend the time, flex the muscles, do, do the work, do the work. Yeah. yeah. Second phase, you start to get recognized by peers and maybe by mentors and by others. And so you start to get, it becomes a support system where you're maybe getting feedback and maybe you're getting opportunities to do things. Yeah. And, and you're, you're turning that stuff into a bit more quality stuff. And then all of a sudden you're in that third phase where you've got the relationships, you've got the opportunities, So then it's being strategic about what you do with your time. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. So I'm going to throw um, all your website details in the show notes and um, where people can find you. But I guess, are you hosting um, retreats? That's how people can get connected with your work or you're wanting to turn it online. Is that right? Yeah, we're about to launch. We're about to launch a one-on-one coaching, plus awesome. all of the retreats that we're going to be doing, and then we're going to yeah. um, hopefully be building an online community. That's a subscription-based thing. Um, That's so exciting! And that'll all be launching within the next three months. But we are having a retreat this November, November third awesome. through fifth in Redding, California. Yeah, and uh, we'll be. If you want to follow Fathering Artist um, on Instagram, yeah, we'll be promoting it there. That's awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today, Eric. And um, I know it'll be super inspiring for my listeners. So thanks for joining. Love it. Loved having me. Uh, I loved having me. Thank you. (laughs) I love that you had me is what I wanted to say. And (laughs) so much fun in New York. You're amazing. Love you so much. Love you too. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening today. Please download, share with your friends and write a review. If you would like to book in a life coaching session with me, go to my website at www.ella-hooper.com or follow me on Instagram at Next Brave Thing Podcast.